Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. So today we're going to talk about uh, two of the three unproductive soils in the parable of the soil. We started parable of the soil two weeks ago. We're going to talk about two out of the three ones that don't end up getting where they want to get up. And what I hope that we're going to gain from this morning is an awareness of two things. Firstly, uh, the existence of a spiritual battle. And secondly, the importance of growing and guarding our faith. And I want us to be aware of these realities so that we're prepared for them. So when they come, we don't get surprised or caught off guard or anything like that. And so today we're going to see two groups of people uh, whose way of life doesn't lead to saving faith in Jesus. And one group never has faith to begin with, and the other group does. One group which initially experienced growth in their faith, and one which didn't. One group whose opportunity for saving faith was taken away, and the other group whose faith fell away. Both ways of life fail to lead to saving faith. And so the question is, well, what are these unproductive ways of life? What's the impact on saving faith and and what's God inviting us to today? So I'm just going to move so this doesn't keep scratching at me. But this is Luke 8, verse 4 to 6, and then verse 11 to 13, and it says this. "While While a large crowd was gathering... And people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. In verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but during the time of testing, they fall away. Not super positive things to read, but hopefully we're going to get something really positive out of it today. So there's two groups of people. Firstly, on the path, those people who are described as the path. Now, the imagery which describes these kind of people is striking. You can imagine the idea of being trampled on, you know. You can imagine the idea of being eaten by birds. Having the words taken from your heart, ripped out, you know. The very nature of the seed on the path, it conjures up images of the likelihood of destruction. You can imagine a road or a footpath around here and, If someone drops a seed, 99% chance that's going to get trod on or eaten by birds. There's a likelihood of something bad happening here. And in case you don't get trampled on here, Jesus is saying, you know, these kind of people are going to get eaten by birds anyway. So it's not great. It's not comfortable to read. Especially given that Jesus relates such an experience to a group of people. This is hard to hear. It's hard to read. But what I don't want us to miss in amidst all this vivid imagery of stamping and getting eaten by birds is the parallel between the birds in verse 5 
it says, and the birds ate it up. And the devil in verse 12, where it says this, those are the, one, the parts of the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts so they don't believe and be saved. And what I don't want us to miss here is there is, in a sense, a spiritual battle going on in our world. And I'm not talking about a red guy with horns with a little pitchfork. There's a sense that there is an evil in the world that doesn't come from me and doesn't come necessarily from the world, that there's something out there that is just plain dark. That whenever the Word of God is heard or read on the YouVersion Bible app or listened to in a podcast, there is an enemy who would like nothing more than to swoop in and take that Word out of our hearts so that we can't believe and be saved. And that's a challenging idea and it's confronting. But what's vital to understand is that through the enemy plucking God's word from people's hearts, not only the existence of faith to begin with, but also its potential growth and the possibility for salvation are prevented. This is a dire state of affairs for these kind of people. It's devastating that the reality that while God's word can save, the opportunity to respond in faith for such people that Jesus is describing has been taken away. And it's no wonder that Jesus uses the imagery of being trampled on or eaten by birds to describe this devastating reality. And what's interesting and frustrating at the same time for me, I don't know if that happens for you, I get frustrated by the Bible sometimes, but what's interesting and frustrating um, is that Jesus doesn't explain how this happens. He doesn't say because they did X, Y, and Z or because they were naughty people or anything like that. I don't think we can even assume that. He simply describes that it happens, that there's a spiritual battle taking place each time the word of God is heard. And if anything, what this requires is prayer. I remember a prayer that I used to pray uh, every evening for months when I first became a Christian. And it was simply this. Jesus, help me keep you number one and keep the enemy far from me. Even in my earliest experiences as a Christian, I remember understanding that there was something outside of me and something out of, outside of the world that had the potential to mess with my faith. I understood there was something that was trying to take the hope and the peace and the joy and the grace and the compassion, that feeling of freedom from my heart. There was a wrestle going on. And so I cried out to God for help. And I've prayed a very similar prayer all throughout my Christian life so far. I prayed it last week. I pray it when there's a feeling that darkness is going to overwhelm me. There's a spiritual battle when the word of God is heard. A battle for our saving faith. And all I want to say about this is that we need to be aware of it. We need to not just pretend it doesn't exist. We need to be aware of it. Have you ever wondered why you find it so hard to keep a Bible reading plan? Or pray like you would want to? Or give like you want to? Or go to small group like you wish you could? 
it's not just that we're not organized people. We can set alarms on our phone, you know, we're organized people. It's because there's something else going on at the same time. And it's worth being aware of that. The second group of people that Jesus described is those on the rocky ground. And uh, when we first moved into the manse, the church house was up the road, we laid turf on the ground in the backyard, which was great until I forgot to water it and then it died. Um, and so, apologies. Um, and so Emily and I, this, well, Emily, she's the wise one in our relationship here. Uh, she said, no, let's go to Bunnings. Let's go buy a stack of grass seed and let's just re-sow it in and hope for the best. Um, on the back of a grass seed box, if you've never bought one before, it says this. You need to keep seeds moist by watering them three times a day in order for the seeds to fully germinate. Okay? So in modern day language for me, water your plants. Water the grass, you know, is what the box is telling me. I'm like, okay, I can, I can water the grass. That's fine. And you have to water it for the obvious reason that if you don't water it, the thing's going to die, you know, because there's no nutrients, because there's no moisture. And the seed is in this example that Jesus is giving has begun to germinate. It's begun to grow. It's not just a little seed anymore. There's some green shoots starting to show themselves. You know? Something's happening. It's not just a seed that's getting trumped on anymore. There's, there's something going on with this seed. But before a root system is developed, you know, because of a lack of moisture and nutrients and the fact that it's on rocky soil, it dies. Again, a devastating reality that Jesus is talking about. And so for some of us, we need to metaphorically water the grass of our faith. And this is important all the time, but it's especially important for those who are new believers or those who are going through times of heat, as Jesus would call it, times of testing. For others of us, you know, we may water the ground, metaphorically, but our faith is only superficial. It's only shallow. It's compartmentalized. And as such, regardless of how much we water it, our lack of openness to God's word results in our faith dying off during a time of testing. An example of this might be that we'll come on Sunday, but God has no business being in my business at work. He doesn't get to dictate how I run things. He doesn't get to dictate how I treat my staff. He doesn't get to dictate how I listen to the boss. Another example might be, you know, my partner isn't a Christian, and so, you know, I'm not going to share anything with them. I'm just going to live the way that everyone else who's not a Christian lives in this relationship, and then we're just going to go from there. It, it's a compartmentalization of faith that I'm going to be a Christian on Sundays and maybe on Tuesday nights, and you know, I'm not opening God up to the rest of my life. There's a hardness in our lives. Now, unlike the previous unproductive soil that the devil kind of takes it away, the seed that's sown on rocky soil enjoys initial growth, and that's exciting. Now, however, like the unproductive soil before, there's no crop. There's no end result due, in this case, to the limitations of the ground, the rocky soil. What it's picturing is a tiny bit of dirt with just solid base rock underneath. Because of this thin layer of soil, it's possible for the seeds to start germinating, to start growing, you know? 
However, because the soil is shallow, it can't develop a root system. And so when the sun rises, the seed can't survive. There's no way of it getting nutrients. There's no way of it surviving. And in Jesus' explanation of this unproductive soil, he likens a seed on rocky ground to those who hear God's word and initially receive and believe it with joy, but who fall away in a time of testing. And what he's describing here is the joy of those who are new to the faith or those who um, have recognized and realized something more about God's grace than before. There's an excitement, there's an exuberance here, there's a, hey, have you heard about Jesus? You know, they're the people who are just so fired up for God initially. They initially receive it and believe it with joy, but who fall away in a time of testing. They hear the word of God, and unlike the seed on the path, you know what? They respond in faith. And they joyfully respond. They're excited about the peace and the hope and the freedom that they're invited to. The relationship they're invited. They're excited about it. They're fired up. They're excited about all it means for them. But you know what? All too soon, this initial enthusiasm and faith fall away in a time of testing. Because Jesus diagnoses it as their faith has no root. No root system, and therefore no way of getting the nutrients for survival. And there are a few implications. First, there's a metaphorically rocky base to such people's hearts. They're partially open to the things of God, but they would prefer Jesus to be part of their life rather than the key determiner of their life. That Jesus, if you like, can be in the car, metaphorically, but he definitely can't be driving. Once we become aware of the reality of Jesus and our, place our faith in him, another implication is that that becomes an all-or-nothing reality. Once we realize that Jesus is real, either we believe with everything we got, or we don't is what Jesus is saying. Either we're all in, or we're not in at all. Think about it. Either we're all in and pursuing the growth and guarding of our newfound faith, or we're lazy and hard-hearted and unwilling to hand over the wheel, and in the time of testing, we just drive this thing off a cliff. So what is this time of testing that he's talking about? Because it sounds pretty terrible if this is what happens. What is this time that causes so many to disown their faith? And why is it so devastating? Well, what's important to understand is that this is not just talking about one particular time that if you're not ready for the metaphorical exam, that you're just going to fail and your faith is done. You know, it's not like an end-of-year exam where if you fail, you're, you're toast, you're done. You know, you're not getting into Christian university. He's not talking about that. Instead, what Jesus is saying is that in our world, there will be times when our faith is tested or when we'll be tempted to disown it. In Luke's Gospel, we see a few references to this. In Luke 4, we see Jesus being tempted to deny his identity as God's son to gain worldly fame and acclaim and authority. 
In Luke 6, Jesus talks about the possibility of people hating, excluding, or insulting us because of our faith. A reality that has and can and will continue to cause many to disown their faith. In Luke 11, Jesus includes the reality of temptation in the prayer that he teaches his disciples, the Lord's Prayer that we all know. Lead us not into testing or temptation. Luke 22, Jesus describes his disciples as those who stood by me in my trials. And then later in the same chapter, Luke 22, Jesus wakes up these same disciples and encourages them to what? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. It's a consistent theme throughout Luke's gospel. So why is it so devastating for faith? Well, it's so devastating because it's a direct denial of what we ourselves have experienced as reality. It's a denial of truth in favor of comfort. Where personally experienced truth is denied, faith dies. If we experience the joy and the hope and the peace and the love and the grace and the freedom and the presence of God, and then we deny those things just because we want to be comfortable, our faith is on a path to death. And if we consistently begin denying the faith, well, the outcome of such a way of life, according to Jesus, is a lack of saving faith in the end. The Apostle Paul makes this really clear to his little mentee, Timothy, in in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8 to 13. And I apologize in advance for how challenging this may be. It says this, "Remember, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my good news, for which I am suffering. Note, suffering. Even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure. Again, that's a suffering, temptation, testing word. I endure. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of those who will gain saving faith, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then in Paul's horrible way of doing things, he then adds this. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, there are some incredible promises in that this is a trustworthy saying, but there is also a significant challenge hidden in that. Is there hope for us if we've denied our faith in this life? Because if we're honest, we probably all have. And the answer on this side of heaven is yes. Arguably the most important reference in the whole of Luke's gospel to this idea of testing and temptation is in Luke 22, and it'll be up next to me, where Jesus himself prays for Peter. Imagine that, Jesus praying for you. He's praying for Simon Peter. And he's praying specifically that Peter's faith might not fail. Again, incredible thing for Jesus to pray about Peter. But we know that he does fail, even though Jesus prays for him. And so Jesus knows this ahead of time, and he's praying for him anyway, and Jesus adds this, Peter, you know, when you've turned back to God after denying me, strengthen the faith of the disciples. I'll read it. Simon, Simon, verse 31, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail in the end, 
And when you have turned back, strengthen the others. Is there hope for those who have denied their faith under trial on this side of heaven? The answer is yes. It was true for Peter. But such hope is firmly based on the gracious invitation of God and the willingness to choose and walk in a comparatively better way of life than before. It's not a, God's going to forgive me and I'm just going to continue walking the same direction. It's a God has forgiven me and there's a different way of walking. Jesus' invitation to Peter at the beach when he was reconciling him was, do you love me, Peter? He asked him three times the same question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The most important thing is that relationship. Do you love me? Jesus' invitation to us here is complete openness to the things of God at work, at home, in the relationship, the way we deal with money, the way we do marriage, the way we raise our kids, the way all of these things, every single part of life, the invitation is an openness to the things of God. Is that challenging? Yes. Am I going to show you that? No. But in the challenges of life is where we grow. I wasn't going to add this, but I'm going to add it here. Um, Currently in this nation, but also around the world, there's a new field of study on what's called post-traumatic growth. You've all heard of post-traumatic syndrome, PTSD. There's a new study, and it has been going for about a decade now, about post-traumatic growth, this idea that after something traumatic, people are now freed to grow in different ways than they have before. Now, that's what Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago, this idea that as we persevere through times of trial, there's a growth that can happen, but only as we've gone through trial. And we, many of us have stories of horrible things that have happened in our lives and the way that God has used them to grow our faith. That's what he's inviting us to. His invitation is to complete openness to the things of God. His invitation is to hand over the metaphorical wheel and to sit in the co-pilot seat. He's not, we're not backseat drivers in this whole thing. He's inviting us to sit next to him, to be present with him, to join him in where he's going and what he's doing, to be part of the action, to be participating in the kingdom, but not leading the kingdom. The invitation this morning is to surrender our lives afresh to a king and a kingdom in which we can experience the fullness of life, hope and peace and freedom. The invitation is to surrender our lives daily to attain a saving faith. We're invited, and I love this phrase, it comes from a book called Metanoia uh, by a, a, a wonderful Christian actress, and she ends the chapter with this. We're invited metaphorically to surrender the broken toy of our lives at the promise of a better gift. Father, as we talk about things like the devil snatching your word out of our hearts, as we talk about times of testing because of our faith. God, it's not comfortable. In fact, it sucks. And we wish it wasn't a reality, and yet an even greater reality is that you saw the trouble and the mess that we're in. You see the evil. And your heart's desire is that it would be overcome 
and you have overcome it. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. God, there's a deep sense that, that as your son died and as he rose again, we can say with Paul, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? We can know that there's light, not simply at the end of the tunnel, like we hear all the time, but there's light in you, and there's hope in you, and there's faith in you, and there's grace in you, and there's freedom in you that we can't find anywhere else. That you're the one whose love surpasses knowledge. You're the one whose peace knows no bounds. And so, Father, as we are entering a world where there is evil as a reality, as we're entering a world where testing is a possibility, God, I just pray that we would reopen our hearts to you. A God of peace, a God who desires a relationship with us, a God who's made a way for that to happen. God, help us build our lives on the rock instead of the sand. God, help us hand back the wheel and be excited about jumping in the co-pilot seat to see where you want to take us in this next season. Speak into our hearts, Lord. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.